Tvameva mata ca pita tvameva, Tvameva bandhu ca sakha tvameva, Tvameva vidyadravinam tvameva, Tvameva saravam mamadeva deva. I bow to that infinite one who is the Divine Mother, Father, Friend, Beloved, Wealth, and you, because he is in all beings. I would like to read today from this book, Conversations with Yogananda, saying number 247, if you happen to have the book. When you work for God, not self, the Master told us, that is just as good as meditation. Then work helps your meditation, and meditation helps your work. You need the balance. With only meditation, one becomes lazy, and the senses become strong. With only work, the mind becomes restless, and one forgets God. He told us he'd seen hermits in the Himalayas fighting over blankets. Such non-attachment, he commented. Ironically, the idea of work and meditation is an important one because, especially in India, the tradition has been that uh, to find God you just have to meditate. Well, that's okay if you've reached the point where you can meditate for a long time, but most people, when they sit for a long time, might as well be swatting flies. It's better to put a lot of concentration into a short period of time than just sit there and uh, looking at the hour pass. One brief meditation with concentration is worth a lot more than a long meditation, although long meditation helps at least in this respect. that It's sort of like if you have a glass with a lot of dirt in it and you stir the dirt up, you can't just say, okay, now it's quiet. It takes a little while for the dirt to settle to the bottom so the water becomes clear again. And so with the mind, it is necessary and important to have sometimes long meditations also. But if you can sit for a long time, and if you can do it, if you do it too much, then you develop the habit of absent-mindedness. That's not good. Whatever you do, you should do it with concentration. You know, some of my guru's most advanced disciples were, in fact, very successful businessmen. And how could they be good yogis also? Because being successful businessmen took a lot of concentration. Anybody who can concentrate well will be able to be a good yogi too. It's very important that when you, whatever you do, you put your whole mind in what you do. On the spiritual path, most people are somewhat lackadaisical. I remember one of my guru's most advanced disciples, and one of the first ones too, Durga Mata, he called her. He gave you, she was an American or Canadian, but he gave her an Indian name. And he rem I remember him telling us how one time she and two or three of the men um, were painting the building because it had become necessary. She was a small woman and they were strong and big. And he described the way she worked and the way they worked. She was like this, just with great energy. And the men were sort of gracefully, as if doing ballet, 
wiping the brush over the surface of the, of the building, he said, if you want to please God, whatever you do, do it with energy. Don't think. I remember one time we had a job and we had to pour a lot of cement for it. And it's, it's a, all work is honorable. This is what Mahatma Gandhi tried to get people to understand in this country. That's why he always kept his little charka with him. To, he felt that any work that you do must be useful, productive work. And uh, many people think that, well, hand, manual labor is beneath them. So that we were pouring cement, and I was uh, not the biggest of the men, so I didn't handle the wheelbarrow, but I was shoveling the sand into the cement mixer because that's what we had in those days. They didn't have the cement trucks that you see nowadays, probably as much in India as in America, I don't know. But uh, there was this one man who was just sitting there and grumbling, I didn't come here to pour cement. At the end of the day, it's interesting, because it was a long day. We worked nonstop 21 hours. It was one of those jobs that you have to, it has to be seamless. And if you don't, then uh, troubles can uh, eventuate later on. Well, anyway, at the end of the day, the only person who was tired was that man who had refused to work because he hadn't come to do that heavy kind of work. When you work, Put your energy into it. It's actually, I have seen that often when I work the hardest is when I feel the greatest afterwards. Hard work is not hard work. It's joyful work if you do it for God. And this was another thing that I remember a senior disciple telling me. She was with my guru, our guru, in the kitchen. And uh, he was... Um, cooking, and she was very busily cleaning up after him. Well, he saw that she was always just busy cleaning, cleaning, so he was just, uh, his way of disciplining was so, really it was delightful sometimes. So he was messing up dish after dish. He didn't need several forks. He used all the forks, all the dishes, and pots and pans, and she was getting more and more out of breath trying to keep up with him, when finally... She smiled and she said, well, Master, I think I'll wait for you to finish and then I will clean up the dishes. He smiled and stopped messing them up. But she understood from that that he was saying, don't be restless, just work with calmness. One time he said to her, you mustn't work so hard. You've worked enough for many lifetimes. Stop working so hard. Well, okay, that was a very acceptable advice to some people. But the point is, that shortly after he gave her that advice, he gave her more work to do. And when she was busy trying to huff and puff and get that work done, he began telling her again, don't work so hard. You've, just, you've been working for incarnations. You must learn not to work so hard. And she thought, well, I mean, she was a good disciple, and she, she respected his, his advice, even though it didn't seem to make any sense at all. And so she tried to follow it. But as soon as she was sort of getting more calm and relaxed, he gave her even more work to do. This went on for two or three or more times when finally she stopped and she looked at him and she said with a smile, Sir, instead of using the word work, why don't we use the word service? And he smiled. He said, it's been a good play, hasn't it? He said, all your life you've been thinking work, 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 work.
when you serve God, then it's not work any longer, it's a joy. And that's what I was trying to help you to understand. But you see, the wonderful thing about him was he wasn't like a psychiatrist who sits you down and faces you and says, now listen, John, here's where you went wrong. You remember? And he goes over all these different things. Not like that at all. He put you through your paces to the point where you had to understand for yourself what he was trying to get you to do. And uh, a friend of mine told me about something that a brother disciple said that, that uh, one time our guru was um, giving counseling on how to move a plant. And he kept moving so that it was no longer in line with uh, the plant above it. And uh, I, was on, I was there on the occasion. I don't remember it like this. But anyway, I'll tell it for this purpose because he had this purpose in telling it too. He said that one of the disciples got completely exasperated because it seemed like our guru didn't know what he was doing. Why did he keep changing his mind? That was the point. And uh, according to the way this lady tells the story, uh, this disciple left the path. Well, I don't remember that. I really don't. But it doesn't matter because the truth is valid anyway. Many people could leave the path over something like that. But a good disciple tries to figure out what's the guru trying to do. Because he always had a motive behind what he did. And it was... It was delightful to live with him and to see how he taught by drawing out from you your understanding. You wouldn't know nearly so well if he imposed that understanding by trying to explain everything to you. Often he would give you a test that would seem absolutely nonsensical. Like one time he had me editing. He took me out to the desert to help him with uh, editing some of his books. And I was very young. I was only 23. How can a 23-year-old uh, edit the work of a master? I was scared. But his advice to me was even more scary. He said, work like lightning, but don't change a word. Now, how can you edit and not change a word? I, it, it was just a completely contradicting, self-conflicting advice. And I can see some disciples would just have said, well, this is crazy, and walked off the scene. Well, I didn't. I had faith in what he was doing. I must say it puzzled me. I think that uh, what he was trying to do was say, don't change a thought. But he didn't say it. And I, I'm sure that he gave me that test just to bring something out in me. What I really learned from that experience was that you can't figure it all out by the, with the mind. The most important thing is love. If he couldn't be consistent, still he loved me and I loved him. And that was what finally mattered. It's what got me over a hurdle of real doubt. Because I did go through doubt at that time. But I came through it because I understood that love was the issue. Not clarity later, in fact, however. I understood a wonderful teaching. You know, there's a story of Chaitanya when he moved to Puri. There was an older and very learned pundit, Sarvabhauma, who saw this nice, glowing young man spending all his time chanting Rama and Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. And he thought, well, I would like to teach this man. He seems capable of learning. 
the Sarvabhama didn't realize that, in fact, Chaitanya had already been a very famous professor of logic. But not knowing this, he thought, well, I'll help him. So he asked him, he said, I would like to teach you. And, of course, Chaitanya was a very humble person, so he said, I'd be very glad to learn. And so, Sarvabhama took a passage of scripture, and he interpreted it in 25 different ways. Well, this was an amazing feat. He showed himself to be very insightful and intelligent. And Chaitanya very humbly showed his appreciation and expressed his appreciation and said, well, let me see if I can come up with any others. He came up with close to 90. An unbelievable feat. But you see, for me, this story had a very special meaning because, after all, I'm a Westerner. And I was brought up on the Western system, which is based on Aristotelian logic. Aristotelian logic says that a thing has to be either one thing or another. It can't be both. The either-or of that method of logic has been excellent for developing science, where you have to weed out everything except the one right possible explanation. But in scripture and in spiritual teachings and in life itself, things are very different. For example, a little child, if he picks up a gun and says, bang, bang, you're dead. Well, you know, he's just playing. It's a toy gun, and he's just, uh, you, you may smile d indulgently. But you know, if an adult were to do the same thing, even if it's a toy, you'd be a little worried, wouldn't you? You'd wonder, what's, what's, what's with this fellow? If Jesus Christ or Mahatma Gandhi had wake, woken up one morning and declared, I'm sick of serving humanity, I want to go out and become a millionaire, wouldn't even criminals say this man has fallen? And yet, if a lazy fellow finally got up, up off his bed of rest and said, I want to become a millionaire, wouldn't even saints applaud and say he'd done a good thing? You see, values are relative. You can't say it's absolutely this or absolutely that. That's a lesson I had to learn when I was editing my guru's book, that he could say this means this and this means that and that means the other. But he put me in an absolutely impossible situation first to help me to become open to that possibility, to that understanding. Well, you see, the goal of... A guru's discipline is to help us to learn balance in all things. He had me work very hard. And I must say it was hard for me at first because I really wanted to be a hermit. My desire was to spend more and more time meditating. I remember he gave me a job to do writing articles for the magazine that they put out in, in the organization that he founded. And... Uh, I, I was working all day in the garden, and at night I wanted to meditate. And so I didn't write, I didn't follow what he said. And one day he said, well, why aren't you writing these things? I said, well, sir, I can't do it in the day and in the evening. I have my time for meditation. He said, unbelievably to my ears, then meditate less. It took me quite a while to finally accept that work was my path more than meditation, in fact. It's just what he wanted of me, and through it I've grown. Work and meditation are very important. But I remember 
how when I had to build Ananda, and I had to earn the money, the strength of will that I gained in doing what I had to do was a priceless boon. So remember that when you work for God, it is, as he said, just as good as meditation. And when you work with others, or when you work with yourself, we have a song, it's called Many Hands Make a Miracle. It's sort of a theme song of our community. But it's also true that many thoughts together concentrated can work miracles. When you put, put energies together, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Let's sing this song for you. Well, I won't be singing with them, but our singers will. I hope you enjoy it. Many hands make a miracle. Joy to you. Many hands make a miracle. Let's all join hands together. Life on earth is so wonderful. When people laugh and dance and struggle as friends, and all their dreams achieve their ends. Many hands make a miracle. People climbing together. Our hands.